Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son in, in this season where we celebrate his first coming. How you loved us so much that you gave him. And unto us a child was born. And unto us a son was given. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be saved. So that we could be yours. Lord, I pray as we seek you in your word this morning in the book of Hebrews. Um, well, for the last time for now. Just pray, Father, that your spirit would be our guide and our teacher. That we would hear your voice. And that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. So there's been a couple chapters in the book of Hebrews that we've taken as a whole. Uh, we took chapter 7 as a whole. We took chapter 8 as a whole. Um, we took chapter 11 as a whole. And now we're going to take chapter 13 as a whole. The journey through Hebrews, uh, for me, has been super enriching. I hope it has been for you as well. I, I mean, I've just been, um, I've read the book. I've studied it. I've heard it taught. I've given messages from it, but this is the first time that I've ever taught from beginning to end in this book, and it has just been wonderful for me. Uh, hopefully it was wonderful for you, but if it wasn't, it wasn't a waste of time because it's been wonderful for me. And today, as we get into chapter 13, uh, it's really in concluding instructions that Paul gives to his audience, which includes us, so we can take it to heart for ourselves as well. Um, it just didn't make sense to me to break this up. Because if I were to break it up, I would have had to have broken it up into about 10 different messages. So it made more sense to me to do it all at once um, so that we could start the book of Luke. Because now I'm really, I've been really excited about, remember when we were, um, last year we started, no, no, this year. But at the beginning of this year we started off and I was so excited to get into the book of James. Then we got into the book of James. I was really excited to finish James so we could get into the book of Hebrews. Now I'm really excited to finish the book of Hebrews so we can get into the book of Luke. I love the Bible. I hope you do too. Um, we should dive in. Hebrews chapter 1 was what we studied nine months ago. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourself are also in the body. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we were talking about this Yesterday as a family, uh, one of the things we tend to do as a family, tend to do, we really try to do it every week, is we have a family devotion time every Saturday. And so we read the Bible together, uh, we pray together. It's been a really sweet time, and gosh, I, I couldn't even tell you how long we've been doing it. But since the kids were small, um, yesterday we were talking about the book of Hebrews, because one of the things we do during that time is I tend to read the scripture that I'm preaching on the next day. It's good for me. 
puts it back in my mind since I haven't usually worked on my sermon for a couple of days by Saturday. And as we were reading it, uh, this thought has occurred to me as I've been working on this chapter. Chapter 13 feels to me like Paul needs to close the letter. He knows that, right? He said everything pretty much that the Holy Spirit wants him to say. And as we go throughout it, he'll go, all right, uh, let brotherly love continue. Oh, make sure you entertain strangers. Oh, don't forget to remember the prisoners. Oh, marriage is honorable. Now, I could make a joke about remembering the prisoners and marriage being so close together, but I won't. Um, right? Then he goes, oh, and, and by the way, don't be covetousness because Jesus is with you. And then he goes, oh, remember those who rule over you. And don't forget Jesus is the same yesterday. Don't be carried about with different doctrines. Oh, oh, and you know what? That's what it feels like to me, is that he just had all this stuff in his mind that the Holy Spirit was going this, 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 this. He just got it all out. That's how it feels to me. It's not bad. Still clearly inspired, just how it feels to me. In the first six verses of chapter 13, um, we continue with a series of instructions that kind of is where we left off at the end of chapter 12. And these are important for us as followers of Christ. So we begin with let brotherly love continue. This is the word Philadelphia in the Greek. Yes, the city Philadelphia is named after it. And that's why it's known as the city of brotherly love. Um, but the phrase brotherly here isn't necessarily a gendered phrase. Um, I'm not saying it's, you know what I mean. But what it means is that we love those not in a romantic way, or not even necessarily in like a family relationship kind of way. But this love we have for one another is when we are concerned for the well-being of others. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, if you see someone, or more importantly, you don't see someone here today who's normally here, and you, you, you know, give them a call, make sure everything's okay. Um, I'll let you know I've already spoken to most of them who aren't here today, but that's, it'd be good for you to do it too. Just check on them, let them know you're thinking about them. That's brotherly love that's being spoken of here. And Jesus told us in John 13, 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I love it. Right? They wrote a great old hymn about it. Um, um, um. They'll know we're Christians by our love. That our brothers and sisters in the Baptist church rewrote, they'll know we are Christians because we eat. Thank you. I just needed a couple chuckles from that one because it's really bad. He goes on. Do not forget to entertain, which the word there means to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And I thought that was a really interesting thought. When have we seen that in Scripture? Well, go back to Genesis 19. You don't have to turn there, but you can do that for homework this week if you want. Um, the two angels who went to Lot when they visited Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Lot met them in the square, and he goes, hey, what are you doing? Ah, we're staying in the square. Oh, Lot's like, bad idea. I know the people around here. Come stay with me. Angels are like, no, we'll be fine. And they would have been because they were angels. And Lot's like, no, 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 come stay with me. He didn't know who they were at the time. But because of that, right, God already knew he was going to rescue Lot, but because he had done that, then the angels protected his home that night and dragged him out of town the next day. We know they were angels, but Lot didn't at that 
particular harm. I don't personally have any stories of uh, myself entertaining an angel that I was unaware of, but I guess being unaware of it means maybe I have and I just don't know. Maybe you have and you just don't know. I don't know how that works exactly. But we're told. What is it really talking about? We should be hospitable to people. Even people we don't know. He goes on. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Right? The word remember there actually means to respond in prayer. And I, I don't know about you. This happens to me a lot. Um, where I will be going throughout my day and somebody will be on my heart. Just like, right? It happens with a lot of the missionaries who support. It happens with Julie all the time. Um, where I'll just be going about my day and I'll think, huh, and I'll stop and pray. Right? I'll stop and pray for that person. Because I can, the only thing I can figure is God put that person on my mind because he wanted me to pray for them in that moment. And that's exactly what he's talking about here, specifically those who are mistreated since we're part of the body also. Paul explained this in 1 Corinthians 12, that if one member of the body suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is the beautiful thing about the body of Christ, one of many. Right? The most beautiful thing about the body of Christ is our head, Jesus himself. But one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ itself is that we are in this together. Right? If you're hurting, I'm hurting. If you have something to celebrate that God has done in your life, I want to celebrate with you. Right? If you're struggling, I want to go through that struggle with you. And so on and so forth. And it should be the same for all of this. Right? It's not because it's my job. It's because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm very grateful that I know I can lay out my struggles to the folks here, and instead of judgment, I get support and encouragement. And I hope you know you can do the same. Not just with me, but with each other. That's part of being the body of Christ. Goes on, and I will admit this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I'm probably going to embarrass my wife at the same time. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. The word here, or the phrase here, speaks of a marriage between one man and one woman. Right? Not two guys, or two gals, or one guy and two gals, or two gals and three guys, or whatever people say they can do these days. Um, the whole idea of polyamorous relationships really trips me up. I, I'm like... How dumb are you? I don't know. Let's find out. Um, right? One man, one woman. That's biblical marriage. That's what God calls us to, um, you know, when we're married. And that relationship and all aspects of that relationship are pure before God. And I love that fact that the marriage bed is undefiled. Anybody want to guess what that's talking about? Cooking. You know, cupcakes and stuff. And I'm going to make a quick statement about this and then I'm going to move on. I'm out of coffee. I'm going to make a quick statement about this and then I'm going to move on. I think one of the reasons we have so many problems that we have in our world today 
revolving around sexual sin. Having sex before marriage, multiple partners, pornography, all the other garbage that exists in the realm of sexual sin in our world. I think one of the reasons, and one of the big reasons that that exists, is because for hundreds of years, Christians have been so prudish about sex within marriage. Right? Churches don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk honestly about it with young folks. Right? Have you ever been in a church where that's, oh, 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 you just don't talk about it. Oh, no. The only time it's talked about is if you're telling somebody how rotten they are for committing that sort of sin. Let you in on something. We're all rotten. But if we were honest about it, if we were honest about the way the Bible teaches us about sexuality between a husband and wife, well, I, I don't think we would be quite so prudish. And if you don't believe me, after church, give me your email address, and I'll send you my notes on the book of Song of Solomon. Did you know the Song of Solomon was not allowed to be read by Jewish men until they were 35 years old? Because it's that graphic? We lose it in English. We totally lose it in English. But if you read it and you can pay a little bit more attention to what it actually says in the Hebrew, Song of Solomon's awesome. <laughs> it's an awesome book. I have a tradition for all the years I've been a pastor, whenever I've done a wedding uh, for a Christian couple, I send them my notes on their wedding night. I'm like, you just take those, you read them, and then have fun. I'm going to move on from there. But Matthew 19 reminds us that God made us in the beginning, male and female, said this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let not man separate. The whole point here is marriage between one man and one woman is honorable before God. It is pure before God and it should be treated as such. We end this section with let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love the way this is put together. We are not supposed to be covetous. We are supposed to be content. How? Because God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Because God has promised to be our helper. Because God has promised that people can't do anything to us. And so we don't have to have fear. I like that. Right? Can people, you know, do stuff to us? Yeah. But nobody can actually stand against us. Not successfully. The Bible promises us victory. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's Romans 8, 31 and 32. So we can be content. We can live without covetousness, no matter what our situation. This is what Paul taught us in Philippians 4. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do 
all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Right? There's a great shirt out there that I, I want to get, and it says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Because so often people love to quote Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, there's a reality there. Right? But look at the context that it's in. The context that it's in is being able to praise God and be okay when you have plenty and when you have nothing. Being able to praise God when the bank account's full and so is the belly. And being able to praise God when the bank account's empty and so is the belly. Something I haven't experienced a lot of. But it's possible. Because our contentment isn't found in what we have. Our contentment in, is found in who we belong to. I want to say that again. Our contentment doesn't belong. Is that what I said the first time? Our contentment doesn't come from what we have. Our contentment comes from who we belong to. Somebody else write that down. I bet I'm going to give that God just, there it is. And that's what Philippians 4 says. Right? And so because we have him, we don't have to be covetous. Because we have him, or more importantly, he has us, we can be content. Verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, sorry, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, and those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I love this section. This really illustrates what I talked about at the beginning. Right? Oh, do this. Oh, don't forget that. Right? Oh, go over here. Don't oh, remember. Oh, and in circling back, right? He just he does. It's beautiful. So in verses seven, and then in verses seventeen and eighteen, we are taught to remember. It's the same word we saw earlier, which is to pray for those who lead us in a role of spiritual authority, especially those who teach the word. This means to follow their faith, consider the outcome of their conduct, to be obedient and submissive, and for two very important reasons. One, they watch out for your soul, and they must give an account of that. And two, that as that takes place among the body, those in that position can do so with joy. It doesn't cause them grief, because that would be unprofitable. Now... This is really hard for me because essentially what I'm telling you 
is that the Bible is telling you to listen to me. That's what the Bible says. Right? The elders are included in this. Um, but since I am the primary one who preaches the word here, it speaks a lot about me, which makes it really awkward for me. So I'm just going to be really honest with you for a couple minutes, and then we're going to move on. Um, and this is probably nothing you've ever heard, not heard from me before, but still. Um, the idea that I am accountable for your soul scares me to death. Just want you to know that. James 3.1 tells me, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. Why? Because now I'm not going to be responsible for the decisions you make, but I am responsible for what I teach you. I am responsible for the example I give you. And as you all know me pretty well, that example isn't always perfect. And as you all know me pretty well, even though I am firmly dedicated to teaching the word of God with the utmost accuracy, I'm capable of making mistakes. Very capable. Is that a surprise to anybody? Thank you. Right, so there you go. Now, should you always obey and be submissive to me? That's what the Bible says. You take it up with God. We should all talk afterwards. I need some stuff. Of course not. That's not how that, what that means. What you should do is I, am, is I am faithful to teach you the word. You should be faithful to listen to that word and obey God. As I'm following Christ, then you follow me. If I go down the wrong path, smack me upside my head and let me know. And help me get back on the right path because I promise that's what I'll do for you. All right, we're in this together. But here is the reality that most pastors won't tell you, but I've said it before. I love my job. I love that God has called me to do this. I am privileged, blessed, excited. It's awesome. I love getting up and going to work. I love being here at church with you on Sundays. I love what I do. Sometimes my job sucks. Some days, it's really hard. Some days, people come to me or they call me or I know they're going through something and even though I'm not supposed to, I take it on myself. And I shouldn't. I should let him handle it. But I feel like I have to take it on myself. Right? When you hurt, I hurt. I do. I hurt a lot. And that's... It takes a lot out of me. You can ask my wife. Most of you don't see me on Sunday afternoons. Somewhere by about 3, 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, I'm exhausted. I don't know why this just feels like it takes so much out of me, but it does. That's why when we used to do the Sunday night, we switched it to Wednesday night. Because by the time we got to Sunday night, I didn't have anything left. And it's this just, sometimes my job's really, really hard. One of the greatest privileges I have is I'm with people on the best days of their lives. And I'm also with people on the worst days of their lives. I've sat in a hospital room with a family while their child died. I've, I've been there. I carry that with me. I can't let that go. And I need you. I need you. I can't do this on my own. There was a time when I thought I could. It didn't work out. I need power of God's spirit. I need the guidance of his word and I need my family. Because without you, I couldn't do what I do. 
And I know I've said that a lot. So you take these words as you want. And it's between you and God after that. Next, we're reminded of the immutability of God. The unchanging nature that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which is a beautiful statement. And why is that so important to us? Because 2,000 years ago, if Jesus called something a sin, guess what? It's still a sin today. If 2,000 years ago, Jesus commanded us to do something as we follow him, that command still stands today. People don't like that, do they? People like the idea that, you know what, I can, you know, the Bible's changed, that was a different culture, that was a different time. Well, it's important to understand culture in order to interpret the Bible, but it hasn't changed. A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage is between a man and a woman. There's people that would have you believe the Bible doesn't teach that anymore. They are wrong. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the wonderful part of that is it really does make our lives easy. We don't have to wonder what he meant or if it doesn't apply anymore. It all applies, I promise. Second, that means his love for us never changes either. So while his standard of holiness doesn't change, neither does his love, and neither does his free offer of salvation. That never changes. That should be very, very comforting to us. We're then warned not to follow after a variety of foreign doctrines because they are of no profit. Instead, have your heart established by grace. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 warns us of the same thing. We are to reject profane and old wives' fables, exercise yourself towards godliness. Why? I'll give you a great example. Did you know that Jesus was not born on December 25th? Right? If we get into scripture and we actually do the take the time to really look into it, he was born somewhere around September or October. Was not born December 25th. December 25th was actually a pagan holiday that was adopted by the church when Constantine Christianized Rome. That's what happened. So, are we going to hell for celebrating Christmas on December 25th? Uh-uh. I celebrate Christmas every day. I celebrate the fact that Jesus came into this world to save me. I celebrate that every day. On December 25th, I give people presents. Right? Our tree's up. And, 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 and yesterday I bought this little light thing that shoots uh, uh, snowflakes on the ceiling. I don't know why. It was completely unnecessary, but I saw it at Walmart and I wanted it. Right? I'll probably watch Elf this month. Nothing to do with Christmas at all. But it's funny. And I enjoy it. Right? We celebrate these things, but we should celebrate Jesus every single day. But I know people who get caught up in that. I know people who, who get caught up in the idea that, well, as a Christian, you can't listen to that music. Or as a Christian, you can't watch that movie. Or as a Christian, you can't go to that place. Or as a Christian, you can't read that book. And it goes on and on and on. What did Paul tell us? Some people esteem one day above another. Some people esteem every day alike. Let each of us be fully convinced in their own mind. 
So what we approve before God is between me and God. And I'm going to tell you, there's things that I'm like, oh, oh, I'm not going there. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to watch that. Right? And that's okay. But I'm going to celebrate Christmas December 25th. I'm going to celebrate Easter. Really, it's Resurrection Sunday. Easter comes from Ishtar, which was a Babylonian holiday. I mean, we can get into all of that, but are we going to get caught up in that? Or are we going to focus on Jesus? Right? If we focus on Jesus, that stuff just really doesn't matter, does it? I met somebody who told me once, oh, you've read Harry Potter? Yep, all seven, multiple times, and I own the movies. You're going to hell. I don't think so. Pretty sure I'm not. Want to know why? Because it's a book. And it's fake. <gasps> Magic isn't real. But it's a good story. And I enjoyed the story. There you go. My favorite, we know somebody who will let their kids read the Chronicles of Narnia. But will not let their kids read Lord of the Rings. Because Lord of the Rings has magic. So does the Chronicles of Narnia. And the best part about that is J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, is the man who led C.S. Lewis to Jesus. So we don't get caught up in that. We focus on Jesus. I'm going to move on or we're going to get in trouble. Or I'm going to get in trouble because I'll stay here forever. Then, we're then he brings up this thing about animal sacrifices taken outside the city and how Jesus was crucified outside the city. And this is interesting. In the Old Testament, they would kill a sacrifice. They would keep the pieces of meat that they were allowed to eat. They would use the blood on the altar for the sacrifice itself. But whatever was left had to be taken outside the city and burned because whatever was left, whatever wasn't used in the sacrifice was then unnecessary and unholy. Jesus was crucified outside the camp. Just like those sacrifices were taken outside, so was Jesus. And we go to him there, bearing his reproach. The idea here is that because Jesus was rejected, we, we are going to be as well. And he himself told us that. And it's because we seek a city to come. And we talked about that a couple chapters back, right? This is not our home. We're on a pilgrimage here. I was going to say vacation, but that's the wrong word. We're on a pilgrimage here. We have a purpose here. But this isn't our home. That's why we don't have to be covetous or seek to find our contentment in this world because this world isn't our home. It just isn't. We have a home. And we're heading that direction. 1 Peter 4.14, If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. I love that. So we go to him. We seek him, not the things of the world. And then we're told of two sacrifices. The first is a sacrifice of praise where we honor God with the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him for who he is and all he does in our lives. The second sacrifice asked of us is to do good and share with others. That word share in the Greek is poinonia, 
And it's where we get the phrase Koine Greek. It was the common Greek, but it means to have fellowship. It basically means we are to be part of one another's lives. Right? It's not, ooh, I'm over here and this is mine and you're over there and that's yours, stay away. It's, we're a family, we're in this together, let's do this together. That's the idea of koinonia. And so these two sacrifices, we don't sacrifice animals, right? Jesus took care of that. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He only had to die once. We studied that back in the book of Hebrews because his sacrifice was perfect. So we don't have to kill animals anymore um, unless we're hungry, right? But we don't do it in order to get saved or to be right before God. Our sacrifices are different now. And you can go throughout the Bible. In the New Testament, there's multiple places where we see things that as followers of Christ we're supposed to sacrifice. Here, we're to offer a sacrifice of praise. I love that. When we're singing songs to God, or we're walking down the street and we see a beautiful sunset and we give God glory for it, or we get a phone call from somebody, them telling us how God has answered prayer, and we praise God, that's awesome, right? Sacrifice of praise, honoring him with our lips, with the things that we say. That's a sacrifice. He loves it. Another sacrifice is sharing with each other, loving each other so that we can serve one another. I love that. There's others in Scripture, and I highly encourage you to go take a look at them. You can do a Google search. How many times does the Bible say sacrifice? You're going to get a lot because of the Old Testament law, but focus on the New Testament ones. There are others, right? Our giving is a sacrifice. Our time is a sacrifice. Us surrendering our lives to the will of God is a sacrifice. Us putting him ahead of everything else is our sacrifice to him. Now, we don't do this to get saved. We don't do this so that we can make him love us more. We do it because of who he is and everything he's already done for us. That takes us to verse 18. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably, but I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. So Paul made a similar request in other letters, uh, like Philemon 22, where he asked them to pray for him to be restored to his folks, as it were. And he asks for this prayer, knowing that he's innocent of any wrongdoing, right? We have, we're confident that we have a good conscience, and then in all things we desire to live honorably, right? He goes, I'm confident that I haven't done anything particularly wrong, right, to deserve being in prison, but I want to keep that up. I want to continue to live honorably. So pray for me that I can do that. We talked earlier about how important it is for you to pray for me. Pray that for me. Pray that my life would always honor God. I pray it for you, just so you know. So pray that for me. I need it really do but he wants to continue to live a life that honors God and then he says and by the way pray for me that I might be restored to you in other words they knew he was in prison pray for me to get out of prison <laughs> right it's not a selfish request I wouldn't want to be in prison either especially a Roman prison not a fun place to be um, I've heard not by experience I've just heard and so he prays for that and it gives us an inkling that it, of course was Paul who wrote this book. We're going to get a couple more before we're done. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace, 
who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words to never complain about how long I preach. Paul thinks 13 chapters of some of the deepest theological content in Scripture was free. Just saying. I've written to you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you. If he comes shortly, greet all those who rule over you. It's the same word as earlier uh, in verse 7 and in verses 17 and 18. Those who have spiritual authority in that church and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So I love the closing benediction here. It's beautiful. Right? He reminds his readers of vital aspects of, the rela- of our relationship with God. Right? First, recognition of God's character and power. The first couple things he mentions here. Right, God is the God of peace. And we are given peace with God um, through the death and resurrection of Christ, according to Ephesians 2.14 and Romans 5.2. God offers us his peace. We have the peace of God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. John 14, 27, right? We can have peace in the midst of situations where we should not have peace. Finally, we can have peace with others according to Ephesians 4, 3. Paul gives a similar benediction in Romans 15, 33. Talks about how he brought up the Lord Jesus from the dead throughout Scripture. There are multiple places we see that all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were involved in Jesus' resurrection. Those scriptures include Romans 4, 24, Romans 8, 11, John 2, 19 through 21, John 10, 17 through 18, among others. But we're reminded of God's character and his power. He is a God who can raise the dead. And then he is the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, right? He is our great shepherd who gave his life for his sheep and who knows his sheep and his sheep know him, according to John 10, 11, and 14, And he is the chief shepherd who will return, 1 Peter 5, 5, who under shepherds will give an account to when he returns. That's what 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 talks about. That passage scares me away too. Then he says, may God make you complete in every good work because it's God who is the one who makes us mature. He is the one who works in us to accomplish his will and we surrender our lives to him by following Jesus. I love Philippians 1.6. You know it's my life verse. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is God who works in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.13 or 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And this final exhortation, I absolutely love, I love, I love. Right? I've written to you in a few words, but you should really listen to me. That's what he's saying here. I appeal to you, bear with the word of exhortation. And I love this word, bear. Right? Because sometimes you bear with somebody who's annoying. Thank you. Sometimes you bear some sort of burden. Right? That's not what this kind of bear is. What this bear is speaking of, it's not the big furry one with four feet anyway, it's 
to hold yourself up against it. In other words, we should take the book of Hebrews and as followers of Christ, hold ourselves up against what we were taught throughout the book. It's not to make you feel guilty or to make me feel guilty. It's not so you can go through the book of Hebrews and see how much of this we don't actually live up to. But it's so we can grow. We look into this. We hold ourselves up against it. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling there. That's an area that I need God's help so that I can grow. So that I can, it's something that needs to be changed. If it's a sin, that needs to be repented of. That's why we do it. It's not to make us feel guilty. Because if you've been paying attention at all as we've gone through the book of Hebrews, which I know you have, there's a lot in here that we don't do, that we should, that we're commanded. And we don't always live up to it. But God wants to take that. He wants us to look at it. He wants us to make that comparison, not to each other, but to him, to the perfection of his word, so we can see the areas that he wants us to grow in. He then makes mention of Timothy uh, and also makes mention of Italy, which, of course, gives us an idea that this book was written by Paul. At the end, he says, Grace be with you all. Amen. So be it. So as we close, this whole chapter is instruction and practical application for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We have looked at everything from the importance of loving one another to a warning against chasing after unprofitable and false doctrines and everything in between. We should take it all to heart and we should seek God's grace and power to live it out in our lives. This was Paul's final exhortation, to have the grace of God in our lives so that we can have some honest self-reflection and see how our lives look in comparison with the truth that has been revealed to us. As we close, one of the things we talked about today is the reproach of Christ. And the reality is he took that reproach for you and I when he took our sin on the cross. Now I know everybody sitting here, I think. And I think you know Jesus. If you don't, boy, we, we need to fix that. But maybe it's someone listening to the recording or someone joining us online. If you have never come to Jesus accepting the free gift of the salvation he offers you, do it now. Now for the rest of us, this week, I want to encourage all of us to some honest self-reflection. This is, can be an unpleasant thing. I'm just going to warn you. But as we go back and think of all the things we've studied in the book of Hebrews, seek the Lord. Ask for his help both in figuring out areas where we need to grow and then his help in helping us grow in those areas. A great prayer to pray along those lines comes from Psalm 139. Verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we love you and we make that our prayer. God, search us. You know the things inside of us that you want us to change. You know the areas in our lives where we need to grow. You know all of that. 
And Father, if we're going to grow in it, if we're going to draw, draw closer to you, if we're going to become more like Christ, we pray that you would show us those things and then you would give us the grace to walk closer to you and deal with those things in our lives. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.